Good morning, 10 o'clock. It's so good to be back with you. Um, I've been away in Uganda since last week, Monday, and I'd love to just share a little bit about what happened whilst I was there. Um, so if you weren't around, I want to remind you that I, I was approached by Gareth Burley, a guy on Africa team. You can put up, Jaden, that first one. Thanks. That's Gareth on my left. Um, and uh, Advance asked if we would uh, go into Uganda uh, to build a relationship with the, the couple that's on, but on the other side, Moses said, and Sarah. Um, Moses has been in ministry for 27 years, and in those 27 years, 26 churches have formed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, but uh, they're keen to join Advance, but we don't actually know what's happening on the ground. What are these people like? What's their theology? What's their leadership culture? Um, and so we, we got to go and um, spend some time with them in the different regions that the churches are in. So we arrived last week, Monday, and on Tuesday we had a long trip out, so that by Wednesday morning you can pop the next we got to share that's uh, in their local villages, Chiburara. And those are all the leaders from the district, from the different churches. And we got to spend um, a teaching into five biblical values that we hold to as a movement, which is gospel-centered churches, mission-focused churches, um, disciple-making churches, uh, spirit-empowered churches, and elder-led churches. And it was a really rich time. Um, the following morning, we went, uh, you can pop the next one on, <laughs> got a, the crack of dawn to uh, speak on the regional radio with Gareth. It was like a COVID reminder. I did not particularly enjoy it, uh, talking into a microphone with nobody on the other side. This is a much better experience. So we'll see. Everything was via interpretation. We hope that the, the people were, uh, were blessed, but uh, who knows? God does. Um, and then we headed off. Thanks, the next photo. It was a far trip after that to even more rural West Uganda. Um, along the, the, the coast of Lake George, and this is Inyakara. And what was great about this church was every time you hit a high point in your sermon, the pianist went, and everyone goes, hallelujah! So I'm hoping we can do some of Uganda today and help me along in the sermon. But they had five preachers in a row, and they were fresh, boy. We had lunch at 4 p.m. It was amazing. Um, you up for that today? Uh, and um, the next one is the children were just such a joy. Oh. This little girl in the green dress, Doreen, the second she heard that piano going for worship, she was in front, boy. And she was going for it. And it was a reminder of just the joy of having children with us. But really sweet. Um, yo, what a beautiful people. But um, we, after that, on Thursday evening, well, after that session, the next one, thanks. That's Lake George. And that's a little fishing boat we got to go in and have a look around. And so we got back late that night. The next morning, we're up early. Can you, next slide. So that's on Friday morning. That's the high school that the church started called Alpha and Omega. And 50% of those kids are orphans. Um, and so what a joy to share the gospel and to see the, the impact of the gospel through this church into kids that really needed it. And so after that, we packed up, got in the car, went to Kampala. You can do the next one. Oh, got to have, oh, I got to have lunch on the equator. That was quite fun um, <laughs> on our way back. And um, you want to go to the next slide? Uh, and then this is the church that they just completed at the beginning of April in Kampala. They were on a campus, but they had to move. Um, and land is very expensive, so they've moved to the suburbs of Kampala. Um, and so we spent Saturday um, doing discipleship training and Sunday um, with the service and then a few more sessions after the service. And my goodness, those people know how to cater well. Um, it was a miracle they stayed awake for the last bit after the amount of food we ate. But... Um, 
what I want to encourage you with was when I was there, I would ask the people, so how long have you been part of gospel? They call their churches Gospel Center Kampala or Gospel Center in your car. Um, and so how long have you been here? Like, no, just three weeks. So, oh, how did you find out about the church? And they said, no, no, so, some of the church members found me on the street and they shared Jesus with me and I've come to faith. I said, oh, great. Next one, uh, uh, that was Karis, the, the, the other guy, the, the other lady was Caroline. So I said, oh, Caroline, uh, how long have you been coming to um, Gospel Center Kampale? She's like, oh, no, just about a month. I was like, wow, how did you find out? She's like, no, no, uh, these people came and shared Christ with me. I've come to faith in Jesus. And there she was cooking the lunch for all of us. Four weeks in, she's in, boy, going for it. Time after time, these guys are just going for it in the gospel. And friends, I just want to say to you today, firstly, they were very blessed by the greetings and love and prayers that I told them they were receiving from us as a church. I mean, the, the whole church just erupted every time. This is joy of, of the togetherness in the gospel. But in a country where the prosperity gospel has ravaged the church, it is beautiful to see these guys rally around the true gospel. And um, these guys, simple, many of them are unemployed, very poor, um, but they are motivated with this message of Jesus that has rescued them. And, and I, I want to say it was a joy to see a gospel-centered church and gospel-centered church planting happening where the people are in love with Jesus and in love with this gospel by justification, uh, by faith alone. And um, it was very special. And I was deeply challenged by the evangelism, which I'm going to share a little bit about today in the sermon. But the one area that we will get feedback on is none of these churches are elder-led. And what that means is there's this pressure on the pastors to do everything. And for Moses, you know, in 27 years of ministry, he has never had a single holiday. Um, and the reason for that is when you're with him, every hour, maybe three or four times an hour, he gets phone calls. And and so we can just see in terms of the safety and stability um, and ownership of those churches going forward, um, the wisdom of God's biblical eldership um, being a platform for them into the future to grow into, which we laid that foundation, but um, they're going to do the work and we will continue checking on that. But it was just wonderful to see God's biblical wisdom being true in any context, amen? And to be able to see the joy of um, Jesus' way of, of leadership in church um, being vindicated. And I also came back today encouraged because church, what is happening in Uganda is happening here. And this missions week that's coming up and this idea or this call that we're sensing from Jesus as the head of this church to um, think outside of ourselves and to be aware of gospel sharing opportunities and to go for it. It's what's happening in Kampala. It's what's happening in Uganda. And the sense of togetherness in this kingdom call is very beautiful. And um, in God's providence, the text that I'm picking up on today in our series in Philippians, you can turn there, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, we'll read from verse 12, is about witnessing. And um, my title for today's sermon is, A Healthy Church is a Witnessing Church. A healthy church is a witnessing church. And I want to read from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 today, uh, tag-teaming with Mark from last week. I'd encourage you, although it's up on the screen, I am going to refer to the Scriptures again and again. So just bring your Bibles every week or if, open it up on your phone. No one will judge you as long as you're not doing WhatsApp. Um, and, and, and just stick with me. Stick with me. Okay. So, verse 12. Here we go. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me 
has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'm going to say that again. Are much more bold to speak the word, this gospel, without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, can we all say in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Oh, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Last week we saw Mark Wood preach on the unchained gospel, which we saw that although Paul is in prison, and I bet when he landed in prison, the devil said, oh, yes, that guy's out, out of action. Whew, praise the Lord. Didn't matter because Paul got hold of the very next person who was next to him, which was each guard that would come in and check in and, and supervise and make sure that he wasn't going to escape. And he would just share the gospel with, with one guard at a time. And instead of the gospel being chained to circumstance, we see the gospel breaking out into this wonderful regiment of Roman soldiers, the imperial guard. And the whole church experiences an awakening. And I, I want to say in Philippians chapter 1, what Paul is reporting here in Rome, it is a revival. It is an awakening of the church. We see it in, in, in verse 14. It says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What was happening was they could see that Paul, although imprisoned, sharing the gospel with one God after another, there was a breaking out of the Spirit of God. There was people coming to faith. And, and they realized something was happening in Rome that they wanted to tuck into. And so these brothers, these Christian preachers, they could have been Christian workers, doesn't matter. The, the terminology is brought. They began to preach the gospel too. And they began to see results. And they began to get excited about what God was doing in Rome. And friends, what happened by, by Paul's arrival was none other than an awakening in the city. And these guys are bold with, uh, to speak this message without fear. They are, they are so encouraged by what's happening. And uh, Paul's rejoicing. He's saying, praise God, what's happening here? And the reason why he includes this in the, uh, the letter to the Philippians is he wants this Philippian church to know what's happening. Because he knows that if there's one thing that the Philippian church would be excited about is the fact that the gospel is being preached and that people are getting saved. I want to remind you that at the very start of the birth of this church, they were excited about the gospel. They were excited about people hearing about the good news of Jesus. They were excited about this kingdom moving forward. I mean, it is the first thing that Paul praises God for in them. In chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Why? Well, he goes on, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. These, this church was, was throbbing with an eagerness to see Christ proclaimed. And he goes on to say in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are 
All. Can we all say all? All. Not some. All partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This church was thrilled that the gospel was moving forward in Rome. Now, we have been saying over and over again that this Philippian church should be a mirror for the modern church. This is a healthy church. And we want to look at this church and say, are we like this? Are we healthy? And friends, what we see about the Philippian church is that a healthy church, it is a witnessing church. A church that pleases God is a lampstand holding the gospel high. Amen? And I, I want to remind you that this church's enthusiasm had never waned. It wasn't just a one little series we talk about the gospel and everyone gets excited for two weeks and then it dies down. It says, from the first day, the first day until now, you have been partners in the gospel with me. Oh, might we be that kind of church. But you see, I want to point out that Paul is very honest that this revival in Rome, it's had mixed responses. How many of you would like to see revival in East London? Hey. How many of you love to just see success for the gospel? Seeing families and schools and institutions bowing the knee to the Lordship of Christ. Can I say, we long for it. I hope you pray for it. I do. But I want to guard you. I want to forewarn you that when God's Spirit starts to move, not everybody's happy about it. And the greatest uh, criticism actually comes from the church. If you read church history, and did it, you, you pick it up that there was a mixed response to this, this breaking out of the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, And most of the brothers, <laughs> not all, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Oh, but then he goes on to verse 15. He says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That was most of them, but there was this other group, this other group. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What he's saying is there was a group of people in the church that hated him. In actual fact, they were saying, ah, you see, Paul is finally under the judgment of God. He's in prison. Serves him right. Our ministries are being blessed. They were gospel preaching ministers, gospel preaching leaders. And they were saying, look at us. We're not in prison. God's blessing our ministry. You see, Paul, Paul, they were so jealous of his influence. They were so jealous of his, of his power. They were so jealous of his success. And I want to remind you that when revival happens, it always produces a mixed response. When the church awakens, the devil does too. And he will do whatever he can to cause strife to come into the church. And what I want us to look at today, it is the beautiful response of Paul that is just so profound for us that we can learn so much from him and his attitude to what's happening in Rome and uh, how we can experience the same in our own lives. And the sermon today is quite simple. And my opening point after that introduction is God is looking for faithful witnesses. God is looking for faithful witnesses. You know, there is something thrilling about how this revival happens in Rome. It didn't start by Paul standing behind a pulpit and preaching a great sermon. It didn't start in a prayer meeting. 
It didn't start with a crusade where you had a tent and everybody was invited and you got your best speakers together and you thumped them with the gospel. That's not how revival started to happen in Rome. Do you know how revival started to happen? Was one Christian sharing the gospel with one other person who was not yet a Christian and doing it over and over again. The way the revival broke out in Rome was one Christian, Paul, using what he had, which was this Roman soldier, to share the gospel with one not yet Christian at a time. And God came down upon Paul's faithfulness to witness in a condition which he could have said, oh, well, my best years are done. I can't get out. I can't preach. You know, my, my best years of ministry are over. I'm just waiting to go home with, to the Lord. No, he says, no, no, I've got to be faithful to this message. Here's someone who doesn't know about Jesus. Let me go tell them about the good news of Jesus. And it was that simple act, that simple faithfulness of taking what he knew to be true of Christ and sharing it with another person that God broke out in the, in the city of Rome. Who knows today if somebody will take seriously to tell other people about Jesus, what God would do. You see, what we tend to hope for is this great flash of glory and power in our corporate meetings. And maybe God can do that. He's done it in history before. But the biblical principle that God wants to honor here is every believer taking on the call to be a faithful witness of Jesus and God honoring that. And who knows, maybe here today, if it is even just one more person here, He's going to leave you and say, where I work, where I play, where I stay, I am going to tell them about the good news of Jesus. Who knows what God could do? Maybe God is waiting to come down upon the simple faithfulness of a church that is willing to share the gospel. And I want to nudge you today and say, God is not looking for perfect people. He is looking for faithful people. And you know what? You know what would thrill me? I've often I've had to ask myself the question: Would I be thrilled if revival broke out in a church service? Yes, I would. But you know what would thrill me even more is if revival would break out through the people of God. A boldness of saying, "I I'm not going to pay Matt and the professionals to do this for me. I'm tucking in. I'm going to come and take this call to find Christ and walk with Him one person at a time, and to be on mission with a God who is missional." Would that be you today? Who knows what God will do if you will take it seriously and be obedient to Jesus. But I know my second point today is as I talk about sharing our faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ, some of you get a little bit uncomfortable and go, oh, can't we talk about something else? Do you know the kind of people I stay with? Do you know the kind of people I work with? Do you know the kind of people I have to deal with every day? Friends, I am aware that this gospel sharing is something which some of us might feel a bit insecure about and a bit fearful of. And there are two great things that we see in the scripture that you are going to have to face if you're going to take seriously sharing Jesus. The first is perfectionism. What do I mean by that? Some of us, when we hear the call to share Christ, think, well, I'm not good enough yet. Anybody feel like that? I don't know enough yet. Anybody feel like that? My prayer life could be better. <laughs> what if they ask questions I won't be able to answer? My Bible reading could be more. 
Friends, there are so many things that rise up within us when, it, when we have to respond to this call to share Christ. And the one big thing is this, this feeling of, I'm not good enough yet. Some of us feel guilty about our walks with the Lord. We go, you know, if I can just get that area right in my life, then I'll, I'll feel confidence to witness. When I feel I'm getting things right, oh, well, then I'll do it. Friends, can I just say to you today, if you wait for that, you will wait a lifetime. You know, I know that, that many of us look at these Christian preachers preaching here who hate Paul negatively because they're doing it to hurt him, saying some of these guys are preaching Christ out of a motivation of selfish ambition and, and, and rivalry, and, and, and this, it's a wicked way in a sense of portraying their motivations to share the gospel. And, and, and I know you might want to point the finger today at them, but I just want to say something from my heart is I am so grateful they are there because it is proof that God is willing to use imperfect people. Are you perfect here this morning? Do you love Jesus with all your soul, heart, mind, and strength? Are you ever going to get there this side of the grave? Huh? Let me tell you, the experience of the Christian life is one of learning to walk with Jesus with weakness. And these Christian preachers have areas in that they know the gospel. They are preaching the gospel. But there are areas of their life that are not yet right with God. And friends, God is still able to use them and their ministry of sharing the gospel. And people are getting saved. And Paul is saying, praise the Lord. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. And friends, it is that, that proclamation of Christ, where there's the power. Can I just remind you again today of the joy of 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. It says, we hold the treasure of this gospel, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Anybody can relate to that? Amen. To show that the surpassing power belongs to us? No, belongs to God and not to us. Friends, this is the power of what it means to, 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 to witness for Christ. The power does not rest upon the person witnessing. The power comes down upon the message. There is a difference. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for he is the power for salvation to everyone who believes. Does he say that? No, he says, for it is the power for salvation for everyone who believes. He says, I know as the vessel, I am the jar of clay. I am bringing the gospel as, a, as an imperfect work of sanctification in my behavior. He knows that. Oh, but what he's holding out has power because the Spirit has chosen to come down upon the message. Not the man, the message. And so as the person hears, faith comes by hearing. As you are speaking this gospel, friends, it's almost detached from your personal life. You are saying, yeah, I, I might not be there yet, but let me tell you who the Savior who's done it all for you. Let me tell you about this gospel. As you share this gospel, the power is not coming upon your level of sanctification. It's coming upon the message. And if anybody believes that message, let me tell you, it's the power of God who did it. 
And there has to be, it does not matter on your best day or work, you almost have to step out of personalizing your space of whether you are good enough to share the gospel. Rubbish. The gospel has the power to save. And so you say, well, today might not be going so well, but this person needs Jesus. And I might, I might be saying to him, you know, buddy, I haven't got this right. Yes, you haven't got it right because Christ got it right for you. Praise Jesus. You might be saying, there are areas of my mouth you work with me every day. I'm wrestling with. But God saves undeservedly. God rescues because he loved us first. And God has made a righteousness outside of ourselves. And I'm enjoying even though I don't deserve it. And you can too. Oh, but you see, it's a form of pride. It's an excuse of hiding behind self of saying, you know, if I just get my life right, then I'll say, can I say, my friends, it is the gospel that you're sharing that saves. And it's the gospel that's at work with you that is still saving you, transforming you. But please, today, it is a lie from the pits of hell. You will wait your entire life until you are good enough, and then your life will pass you by. And friends, I, I, that is, the, that is the, the, the tactic of Satan, to accuse you. He's the, he, will, he will talk you down. He will say, look at your life. No, you must say, this person needs to look at Christ. When you share the gospel, you refuse to listen to that voice. You, 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 you switch off it to completely. You, you say, yes, I know. Even what you're saying is right, I won't believe you. Because right now, the powerful this person is in the message I've got to share with him. Because it's the same way I got saved. I could tell you an example of the lady who shared the gospel with me. You would think, how the heck did anybody ever get saved under her? In a Sunday school, let me tell you, she had an interesting way of doing things. But in that moment of her obedience... On her obedience, God moved and he saved me because of the work of the message hitting my heart by the Spirit. And I will be eternally grateful for her. She might not have had a perfect theology. Let me tell you, she had a love for Jesus. And she knew the gospel. She knew that faith plus nothing and Christ plus nothing is eternal life. And, and, and this, this perfectionism, it kills us. And I want to say, you know what it means to be a witness? Please listen to me. It's so liberating. Is you just get to tell people what is true for you. Evidence. You know that Jesus is alive. You know that Jesus answers prayer. You know what he's done when you put your faith in him and the blood of the cross. You know that, 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 that what has happened to you is for the world. You know these things. And, and the, the basic testifying of saying, Christ is alive. Christ has worked in my life. And let me tell you, he wants to do it for you. Do you know Jesus? It's a great question. Do you know Jesus? They'll say, oh, they'll give some answer. It's a great way to go from there. But, but you're asking, he's alive. He's alive in me. But we will hide under saying, oh, no, you know, I just don't know enough. Or that, that's for someone else. Well, I'll ask the pastor. Can I say there is a joy waiting for us today? In obedience that will thrill us that will give us such a sense of walking with Christ do you want to know what it's like to walk with Jesus it's to be on mission with him every day some of us has longed to be close to him let me tell you where he is he's come to seek and save the lost you want a fresh awakening of love for Jesus a fresh need from every single day a fresh dependency on his voice it is his awareness that every day I'm here for the sake of these people and for the glory of Christ you look at a Christian like that, you can't keep them down. 
They're praying, they're rejoicing, they're struggling, but they're wanting to be effective for the glory of Christ. You can't, you can't keep them away. Every means of grace they're leaning into because they are so motivated by this mission and walking with Christ every day. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, I'll do one thing in your life. I will make you fishers of men. I will so turn your heart from the inside out that the same mercy you receive will drive your life and you will start to say, God, use me for your glory. I want to share with you a great advice that a pastor gave me once. When I was an intern in Cape Town, I tried my best to follow that. that it's, a, it's a nice meaning, that saying of um, whoever it was. People say it's St. Francis of Assisi, but I don't think it was originally. But he said, you know, go into, the gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Anyone heard that before? It was the most frustrating experience of my life. Honestly, people just thought I was weird. You know, trying to love everybody everywhere and work hard. They're just like, calm down. What are you about? You're a bit loopy. And I heard someone preach a message, and, and it was preaching the, the, the wisdom of, of Matthew 5, verse 14. Jesus says, guys, you are the light of the world. And he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Don't hide it under a basket. It's not designed for that. Christ is to be so central to all of your desires and all of your, your aspirations that, that he oozes out. He, he, he come, you can't keep him out. He, he almost wants to burst out of every part of your life. And it says, let your light shine before others. So what? They can make a correlation, for better or worse, <laughs> so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I want to say to you today, in a natural and authentic way, you must tell everybody everywhere who you follow. And for some of us, yeah, I just have on my heart, I know what it's like. As a retail pharmacist, I had a tremendously stressful job. And um, I worked there for five years. But I decided, second time around, I was just going to be open about my faith. And I'll tell you one thing. Some of us here today... You know what it's like to not want to because, well, then people will start looking at you differently. There's a way of when you're sharing your faith, suddenly people are watching you and going, well, let's see how this person behaves. Anybody experience that? Can I say to you, it's designed that way. It's designed that way. Christ is willing to use imperfect people as ambassadors for him. And friends, some of us here are playing the game of hiding our faith so that we can get on just fine with the world. We don't risk anything. And I, I, I want to remind you today that that is not a wise way to live. Because one day, you are going to stand before the one person whose opinion matters most. 
And the call of Scripture for us today is to set our minds on that day, on that person, whose voice and facial features will mean more to us for eternity than anybody else here on earth. Jesus sees everything. He watches. Why not live in such a way where you have a clear conscience? And, and friends, I know that witnessing keeps us honest. But let me tell you now, it is the only way to live with a clear conscience before Jesus and to live in such a way where you know that I don't want to do anything that in eternity I will regret. When it becomes about him, not about the people that are changing. Friends, the, the wonderful thing about work, if you live, work there for a long time, people come and go, don't they? And we were so concerned about that person who just doesn't seem to like me. And that person, let me tell you, we must divorce ourselves ultimately from what people think about our faith. And our heart is to please Jesus. And our heart is to almost say, Lord, I know where I'm at. It's not perfect. It doesn't matter. I'm going to share the gospel. And it's the power of God to save as they hear this message. But I'm going to do it with such a mindset. That I know one day you are going to evaluate what I have done with this faith and I want the world done. I want, you know, you must never as a Christian be in a hurry. God takes his time. Some of us here know what it's like to, to, to walk with Jesus and get a rolling of the eye when people hear. Or maybe a bit of criticism. Can I say to you, on that day they will know exactly who you lived for. And they will applaud it. But you will not start living for Jesus if you are waiting to be perfect. The second great obstacle is our reputations. I've dived on this already, but it's what people think about us. Some of us might not be in a physical prison here today, but we are in the prison of people's opinions. Can I just, that's me. Anybody like that here? <laughs> you guys are so polite. At the eight, yes! How many of us struggle that when you share Jesus, what will they think about me? Anybody like that? Especially with people you have to work with every day. It's not like you can get away from them. Or your family members. You've got to have supper with them. Can I say to you, Paul is incredible in this way. He just think about Paul for a moment and about having to push through what people thought about him in sharing the gospel. You know, if he had to share the gospel with one God at a time, you know what he had to push through? You know what that God could have said to Paul? Look at you, Paul. Look what your God can do. He can't even get you out of prison. I mean, you're telling me to believe in this Jesus and he allows you to be locked up in trial before season. What kind of God do you have? Anybody had that before? What's God done for you? Or maybe, you, know, you remember in Acts 21 that Paul went to Jerusalem against the counsel of fellow Christians. He was told over and over, don't go to Jerusalem because you're going to be arrested. You know that there were Christians that were saying to Paul, told you so. Told you so. Anybody had that before? Told you so. Anybody had the pain of facing criticism from other Christians for sharing faith? You know what? These, these fellow Christian preachers, they were meant to be allies of Paul. And, and people were coming. We know Paul was in house arrest, Acts 28. He had to rent a, a room and there was a guard in front of him where people could come and go as they please. And, and here, people were coming and saying, Paul, do you know what these guys were saying about you? Awful things. Rejoicing in your suffering. What are you going to do about it? 
And Paul experiences such objectivity and freedom in a space where there could have been so many voices to affect him. He, he has a freedom that I long for. He could, he could look at these hurtful accusations and criticisms and say, you know what? I don't matter. My reputation doesn't matter. What matters is Christ is getting shared with the world going to hell. And in that, I rejoice. Such brilliant objectivity. Such brilliant depersonalizing of what was happening. He had such a clarity of mind. He could rejoice. He could rejoice. He could rejoice. And so I come to my third point, which is, how do we walk in this freedom? Friends, do you want this freedom today? Do you? Well, Paul is such a beautiful example of how to be set free from the prison of other men and women's opinion. It's the first thing we see is Paul's freedom is a side effect of the entire way he views his life. You, must, you mustn't feel too intimidated by this because Paul had his whole life to work it out. Remember, he's going to say in Philippians chapter 2, you work out your salvation. Woo-hoo, thank you, Lord. And I want to make it very clear, there is not a silver bullet verse that's going to rescue you from this or, or some sort of little mantra or moment that the only way you enter into this kind of freedom is it is the entire way you view your life every day. It's a side effect, my friend. Paul had come to a place in his life where there was only one voice that ultimately mattered to him. It was his master's. Paul saw himself as a doulos, a bond slave of Jesus in verse 1 of this chapter. The opening lines are Paul and Timothy, bond slaves of Christ Jesus. Paul realized something about his life, that he had been bought at a price. He was not his own. He belonged entirely to another. And friends, he was mastered, controlled by another. That's why as he grew in this revelation of who he was in Christ, he realized, I'm not controlled by you. I'm not controlled by you. I'm not controlled by you. I'm controlled by one person, my master in heaven, Jesus. And because of that, only one voice mattered. Only one look mattered to Paul. Only one well done mattered to Paul. It was to please the one who owned him. It was to please the one who led him and, 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 and bled and died for him. Paul was so motivated with a desire to please his master alone. And he realized only one voice mattered in his life because he was going to stand before one man, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus said to him mattered more than anything else. Friends, is that the way you view your life today? You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to any of these people around you. You are bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. And every day, we are to cultivate that reality in our thinking. Every day to say, Lord Jesus, I am yours today. Lord Jesus, I live for you today. Lord Jesus, use me for your glory today. I am yours.
And it's Romans 12 verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is to walk in the everyday reality that you belong to him. And because of that, he is the most important person in your life. And the next thing we see is, it's not just a side effect of the entire way we are to view our lives in Christ, but Paul's freedom came through frequent testing. I'm very sorry, the only way you're going to grow in this freedom of being uh, not controlled by the fear of man is you have to face it almost every day of your life. And we see Paul's test here. People are coming into his home under house arrest. He's there. And they're saying, do you know what they're saying about you? you know what they're saying about you? And Paul passes the test. He's able to, to look at this and make a decision. Am I going to go after my personal vendetta? And I'm going to vindicate my reputation? No, he says, I'm going to look to Christ and I want to pass the test by pleasing him. He has to face the test and he has to pass it. The way you are going to grow is every day deciding to respond as one who seeks to please Christ first. And the third point is this. It's not just a side effect of our entire way of living, of viewing our life. It's not just going to come through frequent testing. But friends, Paul learned to reason with himself. And he did this by looking at everything through the lens of Christ. What do I mean? In, in, in verse 18, Paul says two very powerful words. He says, what then? He's assessed the situation. He, he, he's, he is going, so what? What do I do now? This is the reality of what's happening. What then? He says in verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What's he doing? It is he is refusing to start analyzing the situation where we normally do. Do you know where we normally start? It's with ourselves. That person really hurt me. That person shouldn't have said that. You know, how do they get away with getting to treat me like that? Or, or maybe we, we do the flip it around. If I just said that better, or if I'd done it a bit differently, we start by processing the situation by fixating on ourselves. And that moment when we do that is we lose all objectivity. We can't think straight when we start with ourselves. Friends, what Paul is sharing with us is no matter what comes the Christian's way, including opinion that is negative towards our faith, is we don't start by saying, geez, that should have happened to me, or that really hurt, or I should have done this. We don't start that. We start by processing everything through the lens of Jesus. And what does that mean? I'll give you this example in Philippians. Paul is deeply hurt by these brothers. They are Christians speaking against him so painfully. In actual fact, they want to increase Paul's suffering. That's what the text says. You know how Paul prices it? He doesn't say, this is wrong. This should not be happening. I'm going to write an apostolic letter to the church in Rome. I'm going to defend myself and say, futak. He could have said, oh, you know what those guys are like? 
Let me tell you a few stories about him. I've been around for it sometimes. You know, he went to, you know what he's like as a husband? You know what he's like as a father? So you can play at this game. You see, he could have started, he doesn't. You know what he does? He says this. What is this through your eyes, Jesus? And suddenly there is objectivity. Why? Because Paul could say, well, these men, they're preaching you. They're preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. Christ is getting exalted. And if I process this through my, my, my vendetta of my reputation, if I step out and try and talk these guys down, I'm going to introduce strife in the church. And if I do that, that means that the, the spirit's going to be quenched, the devil's going to be rejoicing, and the gospel's going to be hindered, and then it's going to be a mess. But he can so see, so actually, I don't matter. What matters is Christ. And he can do this. He says, am I pleasing Christ? Yes. Am I sharing the gospel? Yes. Are my motives pure before Jesus? Yes. Am I doing what he's telling you to do? Yes. He has total peace because he's processing through Christ, not through himself. And because of that, Paul has such peace. He has such joy. He has such, such objectivity. He's actually able to affirm their public ministry as being gospelly sound. How many of us could do that? I ask you, are you facing something today? That is causing bitterness. The root of that bitterness is you have lost sight of Christ. If you're looking for objectivity in your life today and how to think clearly, you start with Jesus. The question you ask when you share your faith and it doesn't go well, you say, well, Lord, were you pleased with that? Did I do it in a loving way? Was I concerned for your glory? Did, did, did I do it with a sense that you would say thumbs up? Friends, if you can think of it that way, it doesn't matter what their response is. You've got your response from Jesus, and you can walk away rejoicing in a clear conscience, knowing, well, actually, it's between, between them and God. I don't have the power to save. My job is to get the gospel to their ears, but it's God's job to get it to their hearts. And so I can look at Jesus and say, my conscience is clear. Praise God. Amen. And I can have a good sleep at night. Are you with me? And the fourth point is, how do we walk in this freedom? When you ask in the situation with Christ, what, what is pleasing to you, Jesus? And you can discern it. You do it. You do it. You do it. And friends, that can even mean backtracking on your mistakes. I'll tell you some, oh, I don't have time, some painful stories. As a pharmacist, when I was manager of that dispensary, I, I remember one day, uh, one of the low points of my leadership, I, 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 had a, I did a verbal dressing down of, of a lady that was older than my mother in front of a queue of, 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 of customers and the whole staff. I just exploded. And I remember her looking at me and saying, can you just please talk to me nicely? And I, I, I felt so convicted. And I went away and said, Lord Jesus, I was right. There were things that I, I was right because it had been a pattern of behavior which had infuriated me for months. And it was the moment where I could correct it. But then he said to me, oh, Matthew, you didn't bring me any glory. And when he said that, I could go, you know what, Lord, this is not about me. It's not about my ego or my reputation. This is about you. And I want your gospel to be honored. And so, Lord, I'm going to go back. And I did. And I put things right. 
Because, friends, the Lord is willing to use imperfect people. Yes. And so I land with a statement today. My fourth point is the true victory. Friends, we must see our victory is in sharing the gospel with others, not their conversion. Some of us here today feel like, geez, I've tried a few times. It's gone really badly. No one was interested. That's not where your victory lies. Your victory lies in sharing the gospel. One person at a time. Remember this, how people respond to the gospel is between them and God. Whether people get an opportunity to respond to the gospel is our job. That's our job. Let's get the gospel out there. Arm yourself with Romans chapter 10, verse 9. You keep that on your phone. That's the scripture you use. But friends, you know that there is freedom awaiting anybody here today who will actually do it. Will actually do it. It will break in your life this opinion of man the more you die to it. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Friends, if, if the cross is our means of rescue, how much more should we rejoice in being able to share it with others? Let's pray. My Father, today I, I ask you for mercy. Mercy, Lord. That we by the Spirit would see how much Christ has brought us. And the glory uh, that's awaiting us, Lord. And that might be around the corner. We're going to see Jesus. Not by the Spirit, but by our naked eyes. And we will stand in his glory. And we will see his face. What a day. And Lord, we want to be a, a church that pleases you. Not living for selfish gain. But eternal reward. And I just pray that there would be a fresh grace upon us this morning to know who we belong to. whose life we are secured to. And what a mighty outcome. And I just pray that, Lord, as your people, your voice would increasingly matter to us more than anybody else's. That we would know the joy of our master, of our king. Lord, you have an adventure in store for us this week and beyond. 
you are putting people in our lives, as we learned last week, that have been handpicked by heaven. I pray today, would we take your word seriously and lay hold of the joy of becoming fishers of men. That's where your heart is, Jesus. You said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Lord, I pray that we would increasingly be released from the tyranny of other people's opinions. And this morning, as we leave this place, something would be sealed in our hearts of going, I want one voice alone to be pleased with me. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath, the planets born. If the stars amaze who worship so high, I can see your heart in everything you make. Every burning star signal for grace. If creation sings your praises so high. So long. 